Hi, I'm Avi. I'm Melissa. And I'm Ilana. And we're your Frozen Chosen. And on this week's episode of Bonjour Chai, we talk to Nakuset about Jewish native relations in the wake of the discovery of the mass grave of the 215 children in Kamloops, BC. Check out Bonjour Chai wherever you get your podcasts and on the CJN Podcast Network. Hi everybody, I'm Ralph ben Murky. Welcome to Yehobitsville, brought to you by Pear Tree Canada. Well, we've been to a whole bunch of different places around this country from coast to coast to coast, and we keep getting more people interested in finding out what Jewish life is like all over Canada. So in this case, we're going to go to a place that I've I guess last year I was there. Uh, I was in North Bay and then I went to Sudbury. And in Sudbury I went to the university and found some really interesting people there. And uh, I also noticed that it's a town that has a very robust French culture, as well as an English culture, and it has a Jewish culture. So today, I found Emily Caruso Parnell, uh, and she is a, what, what would you call it, a Sudbury? What is What are you, a Sudbury or right? How do you say it? A Sudburyan. A Sudburyan. Yeah. I, I like that. It, it sounds interplanetary. It does. <laughs> How are well, you? I'm fine, thanks, Ralph. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. Tell me uh, a bit about your your journey uh, as a as a, as a Jew, uh, which is not how you started off life. So tell tell me about that journey. Uh, well, I grew up here, um, where there are not very many Jews, and I I think maybe I knew one Jewish person growing up who didn't live here. So that really wasn't anything I had in my consciousness as a kid. Um, but I was never a very happy Christian. I was a kid who really had a lot of questions that I didn't feel like there were any answers to any of my questions ever. Um, and I used to stand up in, uh, in the Anglican church and, um, they do something that's called the Nicene Creed. And it starts with, I believe in the Father Almighty creator of heaven and earth or something. And that was the only part I would ever say. And then I would just stand there petulantly as an adolescent and not say the rest of it. (laughs) So it was only years later that I realized that I had sort of created my own DIY Shema. Um, And uh, was when I was an undergraduate um, at York University that I answered an ad in the Toronto Star um, that a family was looking for childcare over the summer. And I ended up uh, working for a family um, at sort of Young and Lawrence that uh, was, you know, very involved. Their kids went to the Heschel School and uh, they were very Jewishly affiliated. And that was that was my first experience with Judaism. And it was very immersive. And I worked for them sort of for the next four years, sort of increasingly part-time as the kids got older. Um, and then when I left them and went to teacher's college, then I um, I ended up starting a conversion process at that point. So interesting because, you know, you could talk to a lot of Jews who would say growing up that they didn't feel that the religion really resonated for them and stood petulantly through, through the Amidah. <laughs> Uh, and wondered, what am I doing here? And you had that experience. How come you didn't just give up on religion altogether at that point? I think I basically had at the point where I started working uh, for this family. Um, I hadn't, you know, that hadn't been part of 
what I had, you know, I was doing an arts program, a dance program, and I wasn't, I was not affiliated with any religious organization at that point, but I really, um, just the the closeness of that sort of family group and the way that they talk to each other. I mean, I grew up in a very kind of wasp environment where there were lots of things that you couldn't talk about. And in this family, they talked about everything, <laughs> literally everything. <laughs> and they sort of said what they were thinking. And, um, you know, there just was this generally open conversation. And that was maybe particular to that family. Maybe we can't generalize that to all Jewish families, but uh, for me, it was so, it was a culture shock. Um, and I really, and it really resonated with me. And the um, the mother in that family was, you know, knew a lot. She had lots of background and and was able to talk to me about things and answer my questions. And, and the kids were too, because they were going to Jewish day school. So I sort of learned with them and it was quite organic. Um, and then their kids went to school with Rabbi Elise Goldstein's kids. They're all about the same age. And at that time, um, Rabbi Goldstein was running Kolel, the Adult Center for Liberal Jewish Learning that she ran for several years. And so I started um, sort of on the sly taking courses at Kolel, not telling anyone. <laughs> Why didn't you tell anyone? I don't know. It just seemed like an embarrassing thing to admit that I was like thinking about converting. I wasn't quite ready to do that. I wasn't quite ready to articulate it to anyone, um, or at least not to the people I worked for yet. It just seemed like... Yeah. I don't know, it's sort yeah, of an yeah. oddly intimate thing to confess to somebody that you'd like to join their tribe. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> um, and so I did it for a while without telling them. And then I finally got up the nerve to tell them. Do you believe it was a coincidence that you ended up in that family? Or like, I, I never know if things are fate, fated or coincidence. I, I, I really don't. Where do you come from with that? I'm generally a very kind of logical person that doesn't believe that about much, but the whole thing felt very beshared. Mm. It felt very, I had gone through a whole application process to be a summer stewardess for Air Canada. And it was like a 14 step application process. At the end, they offered me a job at the terminal <laughs> in the sky. And I was like, I was just so frustrated because it had taken such a long time and I didn't want to drive to, Pearson every day and that's the point at which I saw that ad and answered it and then it you know it just felt very faded and the whole conversion process at, once I embarked on it also felt very faded so. so one way or another you were trying to get to heaven that's right, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> be, be in, in, in a fuselage or be it in a synagogue what exactly. is going to yeah. work out for yeah. you and what did you discover about uh, yourself as you went through this process and how did you how did it lead you back to Sudbury? Um, what did I discover about myself? I, I mean, I think I discovered that I I like the I uh, the ritual aspects of Judaism really appealed to me. The the sort of structure and flow of it, the repetitiveness of it, and the the way you know Shabbat has been such an anchor through this whole pandemic, um, and you know having those pieces that you repeatedly go back to and and the the doing piece um, really appeals to me. The fact that we have these sort of behavioral anchors, um, and my professional life this year has been completely insane, and so uh, it's it's been really good to have those solid pieces that I have to yeah. revisit week after week after week. Um, 
And so those pieces of it, that it was so much about doing and and so little about doctrine, um, really, I found for me, that was very uh, anchoring. Um, and not that there isn't plenty of sort of doctrinal stuff, but it's really at the beginning, so much about the practice. And we, I think one of the courses I took at Kolel was called Doing Jewish, right? And it was just about getting those pieces under your belt of trying those things. And, and um, that for me is very centering because I think the rest of my life is often very much, um, there's a lot of thinking, a lot of um, sort of keeping a lot of details organized and, and having to Gov, you know, organize people and things and programming. And um, so the fact that sort of this is very focused on the concrete is helpful to me. Um, yeah, I get that. Yeah. So when it comes to full circle, how do you find yourself not only converting to being Jewish, but coming back to Sudbury? What? Why did you go back to Sudbury? You could have stayed in a place with 190,000 Jewish people. And, you know, it's like the witness protection program. Right. <laughs> you don't have to come out in any no. way. But you decide to go home where everybody knew you as a, a nice Anglican girl. Right. And there you are, a nice Jewish girl. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, part of it was that I went to teacher's college in New Brunswick. Um, and I started my conversion process in the synagogue in Fredericton, where there's an Orthodox rabbi only, that's the only sort of option there. Um, so I had done sort of this pre-conversion learning in a reform context, but then I moved to New Brunswick and the Orthodox context was the only available one. So that's what I did. Um, and so my like synagogue experience was really in a tiny place. So I knew sort of that tiny synagogue kind of context pretty well by the time I left teacher's college. Um, and I didn't complete my conversion there. I ended up coming back to Toronto and finishing it uh, with Rabbi Goldstein in the reform uh, movement. Um, but it was when I left teacher's college, I was offered a job with the Toronto board, but it was really hard to see how we would ever be able to afford a house <laughs> or sort of you know, what I thought was the life that we might want to live. Um, and you'd married Jewish by then, right? Yeah, all, almost. We got married right after that. So, right. um, and, and your husband was Jewish, I assume? My husband converted too. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but be, he converted really because it was important to me and less because of his own, you know. He's I mean, not alone. There's lots of people who do that. Yeah, yeah. So, um Rabbi Goldstein infamously said, Emily, you're going to be a very good Jew. Jody, you're going to be a very good Jewish husband. So, <laughs> um, so why'd you go back to Sudbury? Well, it was partly just practical sort of prosaic stuff. It was mostly that. It was like, well, you know, I could take this job, job with the TDSB and we'd never be able to afford a house anywhere near where I was going to be teaching. Or we could take, we could go back and we could buy a house right away and we could start, you know, thinking about having a family and making those decisions now. And I was, you know, 27 at the time. So the clock was beginning to tick on those pieces. So that's what we decided to do. We decided to go back where we could sort of afford a, a more, you know, a lifestyle that was more similar to what we were hoping for. So when you go down the street in Sudbury at this point, when you mm -hmm. come back, mm -hmm. um, where does the I'm Jewish part come back into the conversation with your family, with your friends? Yeah. So, I mean, um, 
it, you know, it was, it's definitely a point of, of some contention. I mean, I, I, now we have a different, like we don't at all have the same friends that we had when we were here because we were gone when we were here as younger people, because we were gone for such an extended period of time. So some people that we were close with then we're still close with and with those people it's it's fine um but I, yeah it's it's been a point of contention with some members of my family for sure what is it that they find hard to accept well on my catholic side of the family on mm. the italian side of my family um you know at my grandmother's funeral there were five priests uh so you know it's a fairly you know they used to my aunts and uncles grew up saying the rosary every night on their knees, um, saying Hail Marys every day. It was very intense uh, Catholicity. And so the idea that the idea that people would sort of choose to be nothing after that, like just not affiliate with a religion, that's fairly well accepted. But the, the, you would s- switch teams is right. a bit hard for people to wrap their head around. I mean, the Monsignor to the Bishop here is a cousin of mine. Right. Right. So we're talking fairly intense. So the Caruso part of your life uh, wasn't too happy with what you right. decision. But but I also have a cousin who I'm very close to who's a um an evangelical uh pastor and it's equally contentious for her. It's not right. particularly because I'm Jewish. Well, it's 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 like Jews themselves. I mean, it, it, I I was saying to somebody a few days ago that in Judaism and Catholicism it's the same issue of of you measure yourself by your proximity or distance to the faith. Right. Because there's an orthodox core to each of those faiths. Right. So the more you drift, so a lapsed Catholic is still a Catholic. Yes. But somebody who converts. So it's like when a Jewish person wants to marry a Catholic person. Well, that gets tricky because both of them come from families going, where do you think you're going? Right. 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 So you come back to something. Now I've already assumed your husband is also from Sudbury. Yeah. Right. So you come back to Sudbury and what was the state of Jewish life when you got to Sudbury? It was dying a slow death would be my assessment of it. And maybe other people would have a different assessment, but it was very, the synagogue was nominally Orthodox, but practically um, not, not affiliated with the Orthodox Union, but, but would label themselves as Orthodox. And in practice, that really meant um, we don't count women in a minion. That was sort of the the last stand. <laughs> right. um, you know, everybody drove and, you know, then afterwards went to a restaurant. Or, you know, it wasn't that. And I get that that's lots of people's experience, that they choose to go to an Orthodox synagogue, but they don't practice Orthodoxy. But really, the fundamentals were that women weren't counted and the community was slowly dying. And to me, I, when I came, I thought, well, this is because women aren't being counted, that the community is slowly dying. Like, hmm, Tell me more about that. Well, there were sort of a core of women much older than me um, who just weren't coming anymore because they were tired of not counting. And we frequently were waiting for the eighth man, the ninth man, the tenth man to show up. But right. there were enough people. There just weren't enough men. And so um, that kind of came to a head uh a few years after we arrived back in the community. So how many how many Jewish souls are there in Sudbury these days? Well, the census says 300 or so active. We have about 30 active families. 30 active families, so yeah. maybe 80 people. Yeah, on yeah, 
if we count everybody. Yeah. Wow. So you not only convert and return back to Sudbury and and accept the fact that you're not exactly winning a fan club in your own family, you walk into a, a congregation that is in a transition. That would be the nice way to say it, but was also in some senses really falling apart. So then you decide, hey, maybe I should be the president. I mean, what what happens there? <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I heard the president of the synagogue in Cape Breton quoted in some article, and he's been the president for 25 years, and someone asked him why, and he said, lack of competition. Um, <laughs> that's about it. Uh, so we we had a vote about counting women in a minion, um, I don't know, maybe two years after we came back here. And the vote was successful to have women counted in a minion, but it created a predictable schism. Um, yeah. And so there was a point at which as that schism kind of evolved, um, the people who were coming to the synagogue dwindled to a tiny, tiny handful, not because the people didn't agree with counting women, the majority did, but because some of the most committed members were people who didn't agree. And then other people didn't like the conflict. They just didn't want right. to, right. They didn't want to be, they didn't want to, they agreed women should count in a minion, but they didn't want to be part of any disputes or any bad feelings or anything like that. So you become egalitarian, you're unaffiliated, right. you're, right. you know, you're moving through a, a process of transition. Does this attract new families or families that had given up? We're still a ways away from that. <laughs> At this point, we're down to we're down to Rosh Hashanah with four people. Wow. Um, yeah. So, so you bother to convert. You go through all this and you come home and it's it's disappearing before your eyes. I mean, you right. must have wondered why why did I bother with all this? Why why live here? There's no Jewish life. A little bit. Uh, but then from that, from that low point, we have slowly managed to bring people back who didn't um, who, you know, didn't want to be part of any conflict. Um, and then we have managed to bring in people who, so the four people was before I was president. <laughs> um, and then, you know, nobody else wanted to do it. So I ended up doing it. And then slowly over time, people have come back. And then we've also had new families move into the area um, for a variety of different reasons. And, um and they've, you know, we've managed to have them come. And and before the pandemic, we were getting, um, we typically just do Friday night services because we don't have anyone who can lane. So only mm. when we have someone in, wow. do we do we. What have about now with a virtual kind of reality? Can is there ways you can get, you know, people who can really conduct a service who aren't in Sudbury? I mean, is there an opportunity space here for a virtual Jewish connection for people, Jewish people in Sudbury? Yeah. Yeah, before the pandemic on a Friday night, we were up to over 30 people on a Friday night, which was fantastic. Yeah. Um, and uh, and we have had some services with in cooperation with the synagogue in Barrie, which, which has been great. The rabbi there, Audrey Kaufman, has been fantastic. And then we also have a fellow, Josh Israeli, who's from Thornhill, who comes and does our services when we have occasions where we need laning. And he's done some of our online services for us as well. So, so. It's so interesting because you have to, I guess, figure out a value proposition for new families, a value proposition to keep people engaged. What have you come up with? What is it that, what's the pitch to be <laughs> Jewish in Sudbury? 
Well, I mean, a huge part of it is you can come here and live on a lake and uh, have a Jewish life for the same price you'd pay for a condo in downtown Toronto. So, you know, and if you're working at the hospital or you're teaching at the medical school or you're, you know, working at the university, it's a pretty great uh, trade-off, really. Um, And we're four hours from Toronto. So, you know, you're not that far from Bubby and Zadie, you know, really, it's a four hour drive. Um, So that's, that's partly the pitch. And it's also a very close knit community, right? My kids play with other Jewish kids every weekend, almost, Um, you know, we meet them at parks, and we hang out. Um, You know, we're, we all know each other, we have meals at each other's houses. I mean, this is all COVID, you know, it has changed all that dynamic. But you know, we're, we do little events and we have, you know, play dates at the, you know, down by the lakes and there's lots of community connection between the members of the synagogue. There's lots of opportunities for that to happen. And it, lots of it's very organic and doesn't necessarily have to be at the synagogue. Um, so, you know, I think there's lots to be said for that. Um, similar to the woman who was on about talking about London, you know, there's lots to be said for the amount of closeness that a small community can facilitate. Um, And I think it's important. I mean, one of the things that I've really focused on is keeping the barriers of acts for access really low. So it doesn't cost much to belong to our synagogue. Um, You know, it's, it doesn't require that you have some level of observance. It really is very low barrier to access. I've been very, um, tried to be really clear about uh, how welcoming we want to be for interfaith families, um, that we welcome children of interfaith families. Uh, so, you know, because you don't move to Sudbury because you're from. So it's really important that we are here for the people who are here and not sort of waiting for some group of people that's never going to move to Sudbury to suddenly show up at synagogue. Do you reach out at all to young people at the university if they're Jewish and they happen to be studying at the university? Yeah, we do. We try to find those kids every year, (laughs) track them down. (laughs) Anybody named Abramowitz here? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I mean, sometimes people come to a place like this to hide, right? They don't sort of want to, they don't want people to know they're Jewish. They don't want to, you know, they'd rather just fly under the radar. And, you know, that's entirely the, their prerogative too. But we do try to find those kids when they come here. And and I've had several calls from parents on like Erev Rosh Hashanah. Uh, my kid is at the university and I don't know what to do. And they, can't, they, they won't come home because they have class. And, uh, you know, and so suddenly we're going to pick up kids and bring them to synagogue or bring them home to eat or that's not unusual. Not bad, not yeah. bad. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I love the idea of the closeness that can be uh, cultivated. You know, it's always a double-edged sword when everybody knows your business. But on the other hand, everybody knows your business. They can take <laughs> care of you a bit, yeah. you know. Yeah. So it, it's it's a stronger community. How do you think um, you've grown in your Jewish life by making the decisions you've made to go back to home to Sudbury to take a leadership position in the, in the city for Jewish life. How has that helped you to grow as as a Jewish person? Um, You know, I think beyond grow as a Jewish person, I think it's really helped me to grow as a leader just in general. I mean, the skills that I've, the skills that I've had to learn to successfully sort of bring 
you know, sort of bring some sense of life back to community life in, in Sudbury and in Sudbury Jewish life, you know, those are skills that I'm using all the time now as a school principal. Um, and particularly during the pandemic, it's been, you know, great leadership training. Um, but, you know, it's the thing about, you know, maybe I wouldn't celebrate Sukkot very much. I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine an existence other than the one I have really, but maybe Sukkot wouldn't be on my radar if I wasn't the president of the synagogue, but it's on my radar because I'm the president of the synagogue. I have to have something figured out. What are we doing for Sukkot? You know, I have to know when Sukkot is. I have to have a plan for what's going to happen and, and we have to have something organized. So I end up observing Sukkot as a result because I'm having to sort of organize it on behalf of the community. Um, same for Shavuot, right? What is our plan for Shavuot? Maybe I wouldn't really pay that much attention to Shavuot otherwise, but because I'm in the position I'm in. So it's, you know, it definitely, my friend Vivian, who's, uh, you know, her family, the Ironstones were one of the first fam for first Jewish families in Sudbury. And she will always say, you know, I'm not very religious. She's 85. I'm not very religious. And I said, I know, I know. She said, I'm more like a cultural Jew. I said, yeah, I know, I know. And, uh, but has she ever missed a synagogue service in the whole time I've been here? Never, right? <laughs> and in a big community, we would describe that as religious. Yeah. Right? Uh, but here, it's what you do to make sure the synagogue survives. You show right. up, right? Right. right? And so it's not done out of some great sense of religiosity on her part it's done out of a sense of duty and commitment to the community and so I think that that's sort of one of the truisms of um, Jewish life in a small town is it makes you more observant in some ways because you well, have yeah. to show up <laughs> yeah because if you don't it's done that's You're right gone, you know that's right yeah. when, that's why I was thinking about you know in Toronto of 190,000 people who are Jewish you can do nothing about it but it's still going to be all around you right you know and then Amplify that to Israel, and you can do. You can say you're secular, as the majority of Jewish Israelis say, uh, because just like in Canada, if you're a Christian, you can say, "Well, you know, I'm kind of secular." You know, I used to uh, many, many lives ago. I did stand-up comedy, and I would ask people sometimes their denomination. You know, I don't know why right. I was doing it back then, but I'd say, "How'd you grow up?" And they'd say, "Oh, United," and I'd say, "Oh, nothing." Right. And the whole audience would just burst out laughing because right. they realized it was kind of the, the default of, well, I don't really have to work at this. Right, right. right? But you have yeah. to work at it because you're yeah. there. What about interfaith? Do you make any effort to get together with people of other faiths in, an, in a formal way in Sudbury? So we have had something called Sudbury Interfaith Dialogue, um, which is a little less active right now. But so in that way, there are connections. We're certainly very connected to the downtown churches because that's where we're located is in the downtown core so for instance we're trying to advocate right now for a safe injection site in Sudbury and so the downtown churches kind of include us in their campaign of um, you know religious groups asking for a safe injection site um, we have a good relationship with the mosque in town um, you know I think that uh, sometimes the dynamic between Muslims and Jews in Canada gets pretty polarized but when when you're the non-Christians, <laughs> you're, you know, when there's a lot of churches and there's two mosques in a synagogue, um, you know, as the non-Christians, we're we're together in this, right? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. A so, Hindu temple, and you're there. That's right. Yeah, there is a Hindu <laughs> temple too. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think there's that piece that all the 
all the non-Christian denominations are also sort of uh, have each other's backs to some extent. Um, when, you know, after after the Pittsburgh um, shooting, our the former president of the synagogue, her cousin was one of the people killed in the Pittsburgh. Oh, shooting. my. Okay. And, uh, and so, you know, we really felt this, the support from the churches and the support from the mosque was just, you know, really overwhelming. They were yeah. very you know, very committed and they were all there. I mean, one of the first people we had a service the Friday afterwards and the first person at the door was the Bishop waiting for me to open the door. We have good interfaith relationships in general. Yeah. So you've made some really big decisions in your life that really have, you know, deeply affected the way you're going to live your life. Is there anything you would change about what you decided to do with your life in terms of all of these things? There are times I wonder about moving back here, whether it was a, just a crazy thing to do. Um, there's been lots of great things about it. I've certainly had, you know, lots of learning opportunities that I wouldn't have had in a bigger place. Um, and, you know, just lots of just lots of experiences that I wouldn't have had anywhere else. Um but it, it can be exhausting sometimes. I mean, you know, the the flip side of of the, the fact that I need to know when Sukkot is and I need to know when Shavuot is, is that if I want there to be something happening on Sukkot, I need to get it organized. I mean, it doesn't mean I have to do all the work, but I need to make sure it's organized and people know what they're doing and, and everybody knows what their piece of the puzzle is. And that gets exhausting sometimes. And it's... Um, it's not like it's easy to hand the baton off. There's not a whole group of people saying, hey, I'd like to be synagogue president next. <laughs> well, I think you could say that about just about anywhere, though. True, because, yes. You know, it's like, would you like to be the president of a major uh, Montreal synagogue? Well, uh, uh, you know, my no. dad was a, was a president of the, one, of the Moroccan synagogue in Toronto. And, uh, you know, he loved it, but he knew he, could, he was only going to do it for two years. He wasn't going to do right. it for, for 10. You've been doing right. it for 10, right? Yeah. 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 So it's that part of it is exhausting. And I mean, COVID has in some ways been a bit of a reprieve because, you know, it's been all online and that's fairly easy to organize. <laughs> yeah. I've been hearing that from rabbis and presidents saying, you know what, I kind of like this. I, I yeah. you know, the schlep is gone. I can just do the yeah. thing with people. And there's well, no food. There's no food to organize. That's the big thing. <laughs> that's true, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's not all live event, but there's lots of people who are actually being able to access it. And access, you said, was a really yeah. important thing for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, on the other hand, I must say that uh, you're keeping the flame alive in a part of the country where there's not a big Jewish contingent. So uh, it's a mitzvah, what you're doing. Well, thank you. I try. I think it's, you know, you just have to keep trying. It's not, uh, there's no, there's no sort of perfection here. There's no... Uh, <laughs> there's no bar to reach it's just you just have to keep trying you just have to keep putting one foot in front of the other and hopefully people you know enjoy being together and enjoy um you know the engagement and and find something in it for themselves and uh and keep coming back that's sort of the goal well i hope the high holidays uh are in person for all of you because you know it might be easier to do it the virtual way but it's yeah. not visceral you no. know you, no. To be around each other and to, you know, I had a friend who his whole purpose of going to synagogue every Saturday, I, he said, it's not, I, I, I don't, when I pray, I don't feel anything. I'm not here for that. And I said, well, why do you come every week? And he was a president of the synagogue at the time. And he said, I, I, I'm not being glib. I come for Kiddush. 
right. come from being around people. I come right. from sharing food with people, breaking right. bread, having a conversation. Yeah. So it's it's a beautiful thing to be able to be the, the glue that holds that together for 100%. a community. 100%. I mean, 100%. exhausting, yes, but meaningful too, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's and we like do... having kids. <laughs> yes. Right? Exhausting, but meaningful. Yes. My son's bar mitzvah is in three weeks. So, oh uh, my. You know, muzzle toes. Thank you. <laughs> gotta get, just gotta get through it. Just gotta get through it. it yeah. He'll get through it. He'll get yeah, through it. And you'll I, get through it. But he'll if get I hear it. one more rap version of his portion, I think I might lose my mind. But anyhow. <laughs> well, that, I love that idea. I, I won't tell that to my youngest because he's oh, next year. Yeah. He doesn't it, like rap anyway. So we'll be okay. Well, he just finds new versions to torment me, I think, every time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Emily Caruso Parnell, I really want to thank you. And, uh, I thank you for keeping the uh, the Jewish life alive in a place like Sudbury. It's uh, it means a lot to everybody else in the country too. I think. Oh well, you know, it's uh, in many ways it's a privilege. You take care of yourself. Thanks. You too. Emily Caruso Parnell in Sudbury. This has been Yehopitzville, sponsored by Pear Tree Canada, reducing the after-tax cost of giving for Canadian major gift donors. Learn more at peartreecanada.com. I'm Ralph Benmergi. Our producer is Michael Freeman. Our music is by Luis Smile. And if you want to travel with us across this great country, visiting more small Jewish communities, subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear more of my work, I host another podcast called Not That Kind of Rabbi. We have a Patreon account, patreon.com slash ntkr. Have a listen, and if you want to support, please do. And if you want to hear more Canadian Jewish stories, you can find them at the Canadian Jewish News' website, the cjn.ca. Thanks. We'll see you next time in Yehobitzville.